listening to First Church Charlotte. All right, let's get started. Hebrews 11, and we will read at verse number 6. Familiar, you will recognize it, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. Can I have a big amen? Amen. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that God is. Somebody say, God is. Some of you need to look your trouble right in the eye and say, God is. God is, and God is the rewarder of them who diligently seek him. God is the rewarder. Somebody say the rewarder. He is the rewarder of them who what? Diligently seek him. I'm preaching. uh, He is our rewarder. He is the rewarder. Before you're seated, uh, smile at your neighbor, fist bump him if you're in the mood and say, I hope you have something worth a reward. (laughs) But if not, you can sit by me. God bless you all. You may be seated. Um, This is a theologically central scripture. It's really difficult to understand a personal God if you stumble over Hebrews 11 and 6. You'll end up with a God that the Greeks had, which is kind of an impersonal, you know, fog bank in the sky. (laughs) Somewhere there's a God, somewhere, somehow, but he doesn't really apply to me. But if you're going to believe in a personal God, you're going to have to believe that he is, and he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Um, You know, there's an antidote to sin, but there is no antidote to doubt. I'm sorry to mess with your theology this fast in a sermon. Uh, Normally, I try to wait a little while. There's no antidote to doubt. There is an antidote to sin. We have a covering for sin. Now, you could make a point, and you would, it would be a point that I'm not totally unsympathetic for. You could make a point that in some cases doubt was sin, and so in that regard, in the context of sin, you could be covered. I understand that, but I, I want you to see that if you're going to believe in a personal God, which if you're going to believe in a Christian God, you're going to believe in a personal God, you're going to have to believe not just in his existence, but you're going to have to believe about something that is key to his nature. So we do, as Christians, we normally do very good with the verse part, the first part of this, this, this verse, and that is that he is, believe that he is. We get the necessity of faith, and indeed faith becomes the consistent, resounding theme through the whole of the New Testament. You've got to believe. Somebody say it with me. You've got to believe. As your faith is, so be it unto thee. Who touched me? Um, so, Faith, we tend to do well with in the sense of understanding. We have to believe. We believe in God's existence, and we believe in his ability to make a difference in our life. We believe in his ability to set the captive free. We believe in his ability to bind up the brokenhearted. We do well with the faith, but we err. On the second part of the verse, we get the first part, faith. We err on the second part because we do not understand. We stumble over divine reward. 
All right, that's a pin drop. I know I should, I got to bring a pin up here so I can drop it. I guess if I had a mic, I could just drop the mic and walk off the platform. Um, we, we struggle with divine reward. Why? Well, I'm going to try to explain that tonight, or today, I should say. I'm not going to lose the day that fast. Uh, I'm going to try to explain that, and at the end of this, I hope you have a different perspective uh, in regard to this theme. God is a rewarder. The Bible says so. God is a rewarder. We struggle because we get divine reward confused with salvation. Salvation is not a reward. It's a gift. All right, stay with me. Very quickly, uh, I'm going to give you a memory. Uh, what, what do they call those little memory tools? Uh, this is the memory tool. Um, ten for a good buddy. That's your memory tool. This is what you're remembering. There are ten types of reward that are shown to us in the scripture. There are four crowns, actually five, but one of them is an incorruptible crown, and um, it's speaking uh, fairly broadly, so you could say that all four of the crowns are incorruptible, not just that one and the rest of them are corruptible. So I like to think of it this way, 10 types of reward and four crowns. So let me quickly move through this. The first thing the Bible talks about where you will have a reward is the spiritual disciplines of prayer and fasting. Matthew 6, uh, the Lord talks about uh, praying in secret and the, your, your father who sees you will reward you publicly. Uh, you, there is a reward, the Bible says, for prayer, uh, for fasting. Uh, Matthew 25 tells us there is a reward when we have compassion for the vulnerable. Jesus says in this passage, verse 37 to 40, uh, when the righteous say, you know, when did we feed you? When did we clothe you? And Jesus said, when you did it to the least of these, it was as though it was as though you were doing it to me. I see what you're doing. I uh, see your compassion and your vulnerable uh, for the vulnerable for the weak. Uh, verse uh, number three, uh, Luke six, verse number twenty-two. When you bear insults and revilement, there's you a five dollar word. When you when you bear insults and criticism, and you are excluded or persecuted because of the name of Jesus, your reward is great in heaven. That is Luke chapter number six. When you love your enemies, everybody loves their friends. There's nothing hard about loving your friends. When you love your enemies, there is a reward and it will be great. That's number four and the passage is Luke six and 35. When you are generous, the Lord uses that measure to measure back to you. In generosity and in mercy, they are very much the same thing. People of a grasping spirit always struggle with mercy. People of a, a greediness, they struggle with mercy. It's the same idea. Uh, when you generously give, Luke 6 and 38, give, it'll be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over the measure, it will be measured back to you. Number six, hospitality, that the people can repay you nothing for. There is a reward in that, Luke 14. 
the Lord says, uh, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. The point is your status group, your context, the people who will invite you back. The people, I buy your lunch this time, you buy my lunch next time. The only difference is when you buy, we're going to someplace expensive. That's the only difference. <laughs> uh, when you give hospitality to somebody who cannot repay it, it is though the Lord says, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. These are all speaking uh, scripturally in the sense of, of spiritually poor, spiritually blind, and also the, the, the literal poor people in your life. Because they cannot repay you, the Lord says, because the Lord because they cannot repay you. The Lord will repay you at the resurrection of the just. Number seven, when you have endurance through the suffering that comes with you pursuing God's call on your life. Uh, when you persevere through uh, pain and loss, when you are pursuing God's call on your life, there is a reward for that. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Now that sounds like a reward to me. Beyond all comparison, a weight of glory. Paul could just go back to Tarsus and make tents. No one will criticize him doing that, but he stays in his calling and he stays in his ministry. Great will be his reward. Number eight, when you do, this is something you will not hear preached much, but it is in the Bible. I probably should preach it a little more, so note to self. When you do a good job at work, it can be a testimony that you are serving God and not your employer. <clears throat> Colossians 3 and 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Somebody say, yes, Lord, as your reward. Paul continues, you are serving the Lord Christ, Colossians 3, 23 and 24. There is a reward for you living your life in such a way that people say there's something different about Christians. Finally, number nine, not finally, next to finally, number nine, faithfulness through trials, 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And those trials have tested the genuineness of your faith. Now, he goes on to say your faith is more precious than gold, uh, but your ability to persevere may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, your faithfulness through trials is going to be a, a glory of reward to you in the form of praise, glory, and honor when the Lord comes back to settle accounts. And number 10, remember, 10-4, good buddy. 10, the 10th, uh, type of uh, reward the Lord gives us is for people who have held through discouragement to their faith that Jesus Christ is coming back. Paul very specifically points this out. He's not just saying faithfulness to truth. He's not just speaking generally. He's talking very specifically about people who, though discouraged, though impatient, though beset with troubles, though persecuted, they hold on to their faith that Jesus Christ is coming back. 2 John 1, 7 and 8. Many deceivers have gone out into the world, and they do not confess that the, the, the coming of, the Jesus, of Jesus Christ uh, in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and an antichrist. Watch yourself so that 
you may not lose what you have worked for, but may win a full reward. Somebody say a full reward. And so Jesus Christ came the first time, yes, and he's coming back again. That is our hope. That is our gospel. These are 10 specific rewards talked about in Scripture. Now, to be fair, I don't believe this is everything that we are rewarded for, but these are the things that made the short list in ink and on paper, so they are worthy of some attention. Finally, there are four crowns, or as I said earlier, there's five mentioned, but one of them is an incorruptible crown, and all of these are incorruptible crowns. Number one is the crown of life, James 1, Revelations 2, bestowed upon those who persevere under trials. That's the first crown. The second crown, the crown of righteousness, talked about 2 Timothy chapter number 4. It's promised to those who love and anticipate the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Very specific. They anticipate the return of Jesus Christ, or said another way, they crave intimacy. They crave spiritual union. Number three, a crown of glory is those who lead others. They shepherd sheep. They shepherd the flock in unselfish love and their lives are a good example unto others. They shall receive a, receive a crown of glory. And number four, crown of rejoicing. This is spoken about in First Thessalonians 2 and Philippians 4. It's given to people who are instrumental in winning others to Christ. Rejoicing is directly linked to your ability to say, I helped that person discover eternal life through Jesus Christ. Sometimes we're guilty of celebrating the wrong things. The most important thing in your life is not whether or not God healed your headache. Now, I'm sorry about the headache, and I hope the Lord heals you, but that's not what the crown of rejoicing is for. The crown of rejoicing is directly related to other souls. I've been sick. I've prayed for healing. I'm thankful when I'm healed. But that's not what the crown of rejoicing is for. It's when I help somebody become closer to the Lord Jesus Christ through faith. Hear me, all my leaders, all my small group leaders, all of you hear me. Those of you who spend your time to help somebody make it to heaven, oh, you have a great reward. Those of you who sit up and pray for somebody by name and say, God, I pray you'd help them. I pray you'd encourage them. You have a great reward. And it's the kind of reward that when you get to heaven, uh, all of heaven's going to rejoice about it. You want to know why? Uh, angels love mercy. The Ark of the Covenant, it's around the mercy seat that the angels rejoice. And it's over the mercy seat that the Shekinah glory rests. Angels love mercy. That's why every time a sinner repents, all heaven blows up in a party at the one sinner repenting. They love mercy. <laughs> so, all right, moving along. So, how do we get this? <coughs> Excuse me. How do we get this wrong? This mistake that we make is we confuse the reward with salvation. We think if we live good enough, then God says, cool, I'll save you. Uh, that is a very religious view. In fact, all human religions except Christianity have this version of, uh, uh, shall we say, moral uh, 
soteriology. There's your $5 word for all you Bible scholar types. How can someone, what's the morality of salvation? How, if you kind of uh, improve yourself over time, you'll up your godliness score. <laughs> and pretty soon you can level up because you've got your godliness score high enough. That's all religion is that way except Christianity. And Christianity comes along in, uh, most importantly, uh, New Testament theology. And the idea is this. Look, you, there's nothing you can do to up your godliness score. You cannot save yourself. And so the error we think is we think reward is salvation. And so the result of that is our attention is turned inward. We become selfish Christians obsessing over are we good enough or are we not good enough? And nobody knows. And so what we do is we get together with other people who say you're good enough. And we're reassured because other people say we're good enough. And that means we are saved as though we could earn it. That is a very non-New Testament view of the world. Salvation is not a reward. Salvation is the gift of God. So let me give you some scripture. Because I know it goes against some of your... uh, your, your, your natural inclinations. It certainly is not of the flesh, and it's certainly not of the mind to think that God could give us salvation through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, but that is exactly what he has done. Luke 7 and 50, Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Romans 3, verse number 20, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You cannot raise your godliness score and level up. It's the gift of God. He saved us, Titus 3 and 5, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. There's a ton more scriptures. Let me just end with the next one. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in our hope of sharing the glory of God. If you mistake the reward you can receive of God with your salvation, it will limit your ability to be a minister to others because the fear of losing out is so great. All your focus will turn on yourself. You will turn into a self-perfection obsessed person. You will not worry about whether anyone else is going to make it. You're terrified if you're going to make it. You won't worry whether or not somebody weak in the Lord is going to make it. You will wonder if you're going to make it. And then you will fall into an Old Testament state of mind, which believes the clean is always one brush away from the unclean and thus is contaminated and unworthy of of God's presence. That is a very Old Testament view. In the Old Testament, there were many things that could make you unclean. Uh, women could be unclean through the, their, their, their reproductive cycles, and uh, men could be unclean simply by spitting on somebody else, and um, there's all kind of unclean things. If you were near a dead body, unclean. And all it takes in the Old Testament for the clean, oh, I hope somebody gets this, because this is about as good as I can do right here, all right? All it takes in the 
Old Testament, for the clean to be made unclean is one touch. The unclean is always destroying the clean by one touch. But then, oh hallelujah, I wish I could preach. Jesus changes everything. And when Jesus shows up, uh, he touches the unclean. He touches the leper. He lays his hand on the unclean. Because in this world, we're not dependent on our goodness. In Jesus' world, we're dependent on his goodness. That's why in the New Testament, we when we get into a, this obsession with purity, it creates selfish discipleship. When we're obsessed with purity, it creates selfish discipleship. We focus on ourselves, but the moment you believe you couldn't earn salvation anyway, and he that began a good work in you... Mm-hmm. I just had to throw a maha in there for Sister Tina. The same one. My God, I'm about to run up in here and my back won't let me do it. If he started in you, he's going to finish it in you. The same God who washed you in this altar is going to take you all the way home. The same God. <laughs> Okay, so if salvation's God's gift, we still have rewards. God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It's just you can't earn salvation. God has taken that off the table and said, all you have to do for this is work out the redemptive gift that Jesus Christ gave us through repentance. We uh, repent with, uh, as he was instructed. We uh, take on his death through baptism. We fulfill his death. That's New Testament. And we take on his resurrection of his life, his death, his resurrection. That is now done. Honey, you be saved. How can I say that? Because Jesus is good enough. If you want to see a person who should be loving people, who should be wrapping their arms around weak people, who should be speaking faith over horrible circumstances, if you want to destroy their spiritual productivity, let them turn inward and start obsessing over whether or not I'm going to make it. Come on now. It destroys the one another in the gospel. Because I'm so afraid of missing out. I've got to make sure I'm right. I've got to be saved. I think I'll just go to church with my favorite prayer friend. And we'll just sit back in the back and we'll just share the scripture together. Because we got to be saved. We're terrified. We lose the one anothering of the gospel. I believe you're going to make it because Jesus is enough. And let me tell you something else about God. He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And so the rewards are in the kingdom of heaven, 
not the gospel of salvation. Oh, Lord, I'm stretching some theology here today. I'm stretching some theology, but I am strongly founded in the New Testament here. So here we are. Yeah, you might can argue me in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, honey, I'm in like Flynn. <laughs> I want you to see the rewards are in the kingdom of heaven. What's the difference in gospel, the, the kingdom of the gospel, and the kingdom of, of heaven, or, or at least that kind of language that we refer to salvation versus purpose. Did you hear what I said? Salvation versus purpose. Salvation versus calling. Salvation versus field white ready unto harvest. Salvation, you're an ambassador of Christ. The difference, they're not the same thing. Okay? There are lots of people who are saved and Jesus himself can't get them in the field even asking you to help him pray. Was that too much? I love y'all too. Okay, so. Um, the rewards, you can look at them. They are very kingdom related. The 10 rewards are very kingdom related. They are in, in, in most cases very others related. They are very much in the kingdom. They're very much thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They're very much, they're about the, what is the kingdom of God? It's the, the dominion over of God over everything in this world right now in time and in all eternity. That's the kingdom of God. So when God heals you, that's not the gospel of salvation. That is the kingdom of heaven. That is God's dominion over everything going on in your life. When you're broken, the Lord gives you a financial miracle. Yes, Lord. Um, <laughs> when you're broken, God, that's not about salvation. That is about God's dominion over everything that's going on in this world. You see what I'm saying? When you, when you rebuke the devil, that is a contest. That's not salvational. It is a contest between kingdoms. And the rewards are in the kingdom. Salvation is in Jesus Christ. So he seeks those who would uh, seek him. He desires those who would desire him. I'm almost done. Stay with me just a couple moments more. The Lord is looking for those who believe he is a rewarder. They believe there's something to be gained. You see how we get this? We miss the scripture in the way that it could be understood. Uh, we're not simply saying, yes, that uh, you have to believe that he is. You know, that's, the, uh, that's, that's where we go through our understanding. He's my savior, the submission of myself. I believe and I've now I'm believing he's the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And so this reward element of the kingdom, I read you 10 passages where you can say that has to do with heavenly reward. None of them are uh, at least in a direct way salvational. Uh, almost all of them are much easier described as pertaining to the kingdom of heaven and your ability to be God's ambassador on earth, the kingdom of heaven. Your ability to be a channel through which anointing flows. Not salvation, but purpose. Not salvation, but advancing the kingdom of heaven. Not salvation, but rebuking the powers of darkness. Not salvation, but doing war spiritually against the principalities and powers that oppress other people. You've been saved. 
Now what? You see, selfish Christianity is always looking inward, obsessing over self. But the Christianity of the kingdom of heaven is already saying, look, there's nothing I could do anyway. I've got to trust Jesus or nothing. In the meantime, I am surrounded by a harvest field. In the meantime, I am strong. I should bear the burdens of the weak. In the meantime, I should lift up my eyes and see the call of God, the purpose of God, the opportunity of ministry. And so it is. So it is that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And the rewards are about the kingdom of heaven. So we must choose. I'm almost done. Stay with me. We must individually choose what we are seeking after. My favorite glasses point. (laughs) Favorite thing about glasses is making this point right here. You have to choose. Mm, it's more powerful with glasses. You, <laughs> I'm going to do this side over here because they're, they're, they're laughing at me too much. You guys are like spiritual over here. You have to choose what you're seeking after. If salvation is the gift of God, what's this rewarder business? What are you seeking after? Hear me, we can spend our whole lives in carnal lifestyle and then reassure ourselves, well, we're saved. What are you seeking after? What are you seeking after? What are you seeking after? We choose what it is we seek after. And when we hunger for God, our life begins to reap the rewards because he is a rewarder. What are you seeking after? Are you hungry for the blessings of heaven or are you just satisfied to know you're saved? Mm, It's going to get quiet in here. I'm going to be my own main man corner and I'm going to say, my God, I never heard it like that before. If you content yourself just to say, oh, I'm just saved, you are missing the reward because the reward is in the kingdom. Can you love people? Can you deny yourself for others? Can you pray about something besides you and your children being saved? Can you lift up your eyes to embrace a world that needs your acts of charity as a testimony that there is a God? Can you? I believe you can. And so I want to end with this. I want to show you exactly how this works. Exactly how this works. This choice in our life of what we seek after. What we choose to think about. What we choose to pursue. How we choose to live. In the Garden of Eden. Remember the Garden of Eden. Musicians, you can come. The Garden of Eden is a place of perfect divine preparation. It is not an accidental forest where two thinking machines hacked their programming and rose up to sentience. No, 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 no. But thank you for following the train of thought. It is a place of divine preparation. God built a garden. The Bible says he prepared. And so in this garden, it is a prepared place. And he placed Adam and Eve in this garden as a place of perfection. There is oneness, divine and human there. There is unity, divine and human there. They are in a protected place. But in the middle of the garden is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let's just call it the tree of death. Because the day you eat of it, death will begin in your body, in your spirit tree of death. We know that tree very well, but there's not just one tree in this garden. 
there's also a tree of life. And so God, even in perfect places, gives you a tree of life and a tree of death. And that makes most of us religious people a little bit mad. And we want to argue with God. And we would say, no, Lord, no, Lord, you messed up the architecture of perfection. Because in our version of perfection, there is no tree of death. There's only a protected place and a tree of life. And if we stay in a protected place, there's no tree of death. You see, in our architecture of perfection, we don't have to choose. And so when we design our garden, we prepare this safe place, beautiful, perfect. We put a tree of life in it. We put a fence around it. And we take the tree of death, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we move it way outside the garden. And then we put three fences in front of it. And then we put it behind that fence. And we say, this is perfect. We don't have to choose. We only have the tree of life. But that's not how God wants you to serve him. There is in your life today a way of being, a manner of living that is death to your spirit. And if I was able to be powerful enough to cast it out of your life, as soon as you walked out of this church, God had put it back in your life. Because he is the rewarder of them that seek him. You have to choose to turn away. So, Are you attacked with fear? Do you really struggle with fear? That's the tree of death in your life. You've got to turn away from that. And every time you feel it, you've got to say, no, no. That's death to me. I rebuke that fear. And I intentionally turn to God's promise. And I say, you are able to do what you said you're going to do. And you're able to keep me according to your power and your spirit. And I choose life. There is no preacher powerful enough to take the tree of death out of your life. There is no preacher power. There is no service powerful enough where when you walk out, you don't have to choose anymore because God is the rewarder of them that seek him. There was only one who could deal with the tree of death. And that was the perfect lamb of God who was crucified upon it. And once you put life with death, death dies. Oh, come on. That's as good as I can do. So when life, Jesus Christ, died on death, he said to death, your game is up. Give me the keys. And death submitted itself to life. Through Jesus Christ. My appeal to you is this. Well, let me just give a personal testimony as a close. Two weeks ago, I had an understanding through various events that I was eating from the tree of death. For me, it was a type of fear, a type of oppression. I was already sick and in pain. And I just, 
I realized I'm standing at the tree of death and I'm eating one fruit off of another. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if this person? What if that person? What if we get sick? What if something happens? And I'm eating from the tree of death and the spirit rebuked me and said, the tree is always going to be there. You have to choose to turn away from it. You have to learn how to rebuke fear. You have to learn to say, no, I know I can think that way, but I'm not going to do it. I choose the tree of life in my life. Let's all stand. Just step out of the chair you're in right now. Would you make your way down here to the front? Let's all come together. We're going to have a time of prayer. Our guests, our friends, feel free to come with us. I know I've given you a fairly uh, heavy Bible study here today, but I, I believe it's a, a, a helpful understanding that can, can make us stronger. We're going to come. We're going to spend some time. We're going to pray together. Uh, I would like our guests to feel free to come with us. I promise you we won't embarrass you in any way. We will host you very kindly. We're glad you're here. We want you to feel welcome. Church, join with me right now. Lift your hands, lift your hearts. Lord Jesus, I need the strength that only you can give in my life. Lord Jesus, I'm praying for every believer here today. I'm praying for every saint of God who served you for many years. And I'm also praying for everyone who is joining, uh, kind of uh, joining a, a new day. They're, they're, they're joining themselves to a new way of walking. They're, they're committing themselves to a new tomorrow. Lord Jesus, wherever we are, I'm praying today that we would understand how much you have done for us, first of all. And I'm praying that we would have the courage to seek after you and know that you will reward the individual who seeks after you. You will hear the prayer of the person who sincerely repents of their sins and calls on you. But more than just receiving them into the the redeemed, you also will give them a a, a purpose. You will give them a passion. You will give them a calling. You will remake them, redirect them, you will use them for a purpose beyond simple self and selfishness. Lord Jesus, here at this church, that's how we want to walk, oh God. That's how we want to live, Lord Jesus. We want to get a vision of the reward that comes from heaven. We want to get a vision of the reward that is according to your name and according to your will. Lord Jesus, we want to have a heart for others and we want to have a heart for strengthening one another. We want to be a a brother of edification like Barnabas, Lord Jesus. We want to be someone who gives life to others. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, we bless you. Even in protected places, you have to choose. Even in the church house, you have to choose. And the choice is always my way, God's way. No amount of prayer removes the tree of death from our life. We have to choose away from it. No amount of power removes your ability to follow after the flesh. You have to choose away from it. And so it is. Even if you were delivered from your tree, when you walked out of the church, God had put another one in your life because He wants you to choose. He wants you to desire. He wants you to seek. But oh, if you will seek him, he will be found. 
Say it with me. If I will seek him, he will be found. Because he is the rewarder. desire him he will be found by me if I will long for his presence he will be he will meet with me if I will choose he will respond because he is my rewarder and I will diligently seek him Lord Jesus I pray you would walk with your people I pray you would lead them standing at the threshold of a new year Lord this is the first Sunday 2019 which is surprising most of us never thought we would see 2019 some of us didn't even think we'd see 2000 but here we are and in this year Lord we don't want to be a selfish church we don't want to be focused on ourselves we don't want to us to find our Christianity about whether or not we think our goodness is enough. Our goodness is never going to be enough. Lord Jesus, we want to believe and we want to seek. We want to believe and we want to seek. And if we will seek, then you will lead us according to your will. You will let the doors of opportunity be open to the kingdom of heaven to your people. So lead us, we pray today in Jesus' name. And let the church say amen. Next Sunday, we will start back First Steps, which is an introductory class that happens after the 11 a.m. service. I teach it. We serve you lunch. If you're new around here or you've been coming a little while but you have some questions or you'd just like to get to know me, I certainly want to get to know you. I want to get to know you so bad I set a place and time where I can get to know you starts next Sunday, so please join with us next Sunday after the 11 a.m. service. We'll serve you lunch. We'll talk about First Church. I'll answer all your questions. We love you. Church, take a moment. Show God's love to somebody before you leave here today. Greet one another. Have a great week in Jesus' name. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.